Thank you very much, Mike. Keep that open. We'll look at that together now. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gift of faith which so many of us have been given already. We pray for those of us that are searching, those of us that um, have already begun to trust you, that you will deepen and enrich our faith and encourage us by your spirit and word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a British monk called Elred back in the 12th century who wrote about what he described as three different kinds of friendship. So he wrote about what he called carnal friendship, which is where the relationship is based on a shared pursuit of, of something, of pleasure, whether you know, a common delight in clubbing together or football or something like that. He wrote about worldly friendship based on mutual advantage, like in a business partnership where both sides gain from working together. And then he talked about the third kind. And there's nothing wrong with the other two, he would say. Um, But the third kind, he said, is the deepest. And he called it spiritual friendship. Based upon mutual commitment to following Christ and helping each other to follow Christ. And that is our theme. That's Paul's, this letter's theme this morning. Um, Over the years, Karen and I have made many friends in college, for instance, or with parents at the school gate uh, through our interest in things like music and sport. But actually, it's our our closest friendships have been where we've been partners with others, a shared desire to know and follow Christ together. So today we're seeing we've been called not to follow Christ alone, but in community with others, with spiritual friends, to help each other to follow Jesus. We've seen in 1 Thessalonians already that Paul and his companions have already been teaching this and modelling this in what they've said already. They are examples of it, their message about Jesus, but also their conviction when they've shared it, and their example, the, the shared lives they've given to the Thessalonians, this young Christian church. All those things have been just a great example of spiritual friendship, spiritual encouragement. And today, in our passage, they're going to say more about the depth of that spiritual friendship. What's it look like? How's it work? Why does it matter to both sides? And the point of today's passage is that deeper faith, at least in part, arises from spiritual friendships. So friendships help, help faith to begin in others as we love and share Jesus, but actually the, the reverse is true, that faith is grown through spiritual friendships too. So here are three headings today, um, and the, the passage breaks down into uh, pretty much four paragraphs. Here are the first three paragraphs. Spiritual friendship, first of all, is loving, That's verses 17 to 20 of chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, spiritual friendship acts, first five verses, and spiritual friendship brings joy, verses 6 to 10. And we're going to look at those three, and then we'll follow that just quickly in conclusion by asking, how does this happen? Where's the power for spiritual friendship and therefore encouragement come from? So first one, spiritual friendship is loving, chapter 2, verse 17. Paul 
and his companions, just kind of recapping a bit of the geography and story behind this, have been traveling, as you can see, through the Mediterranean world. They went from Turkey to modern-day Greece to Neopolis to Philippi to Thessalonica, which is the place where the people who first read this letter are based. That's their church in Thessalonians. Um, But then they were forced to leave by opposition in the city, and they had to go south, as you can see there, following the red line, um, down to Athens, from which Paul sent back Timothy to Thessalonica, as we're going to see, and then on to Corinth, which is where he's probably writing this letter from. And he writes in verse 17 about that experience of being separated from them in such a hurry as being orphaned. And, and, and it could be either way, either a child that loses its parents or perhaps in this context, he feels like a parent who's been deprived of his spiritual children. Orphan, that's the, the depth of his love for them. He's been torn away in heart. So he says in verse 17 and 18, in our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you. And he kind of grabs the pen and says, I, Paul, tried more than once. You get the sense of the spiritual friendship, the depth there, don't you? The love he has, even though he had only spent a few weeks with this little church. And he says, but Satan stopped us. Now, Satan in the Bible, is, the word means literally the accuser. He's the, the personal force of evil that, that accuses God's people, that tries to discourage us in our faith and pull us away from Jesus. And It, it could be he means here um, that the opponents that put a ban on the people hosting Paul in Thessalonica from mixing with Paul effectively meant Paul had to leave the city. Maybe that's what he means by Satan blocked us. They had to leave. Or maybe it means that something in the, the travel arrangements or the authorities means he can't now travel back north to Thessalonica to see them again. But whatever it is, there's a, a spiritual obstruction has happened to that friendship being face-to-face, which is what he longs for. Now, we shouldn't see Satan, the accuser, as the, the excuse for every spiritual challenge that we face. This is important. You know, when um, we're struggling with something spiritually, when maybe our faith's not as strong as it could be, or something in some way we've let God down, it's so easy to blame Satan for that. You know, like the lazy minister who can't be bothered to prepare the sermon, but complains that the devil stopped me. You know, there are lots of reasons, aren't there, why we're not as close to Jesus sometimes as we could be or should be. But Satan is nonetheless real. That's what Paul's saying here. And he does sometimes set up, um, pulling unseen strings often, roadblocks for the gospel in our culture or circumstance. But those setbacks can't stop spiritual friendship. They're still writing to each other here. We've got the letter. And Paul sends Timothy to get round that roadblock. And as they write and think of the the Thessalonians that they love so much, they've got an eye, haven't they, on the future. So look at this young church. They're looking towards the day that Christ returns. The language in verse 19, it's rather like the queen visiting to inspect a group of soldiers at the the White Hall 
and they're all on parade with shining buttons and immaculate headwear and so on, ready for her to inspect. And Paul says, it's like that, where is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What will we glory in? Will it be our shiny buttons? Will it be our uh, extraordinary ministry and gifts? He says, well, no, it'll be you. You are our glory. You are our crown in which we glory when he comes. So it's not a a sparkling tiara that the queen would wear. It's the laurel wreath of an athlete. That's the image here. That's the crown. It's the laurel wreath that shows public achievement. And he's saying, when Jesus comes, what will we have to show him to show the evidence of our ministry, of our faithful spiritual friendship? Well, it will be you. You're the badge of our achievement. It won't be the prosperity we achieved or the projects that our church did. It'll be the people that we invested in spiritually. We will say, won't we, when Jesus comes, any one of us here that follows Jesus, we will say to him, Lord, look at these church members that I welcomed. I may have done it fallibly, um, but look at the people I loved, I, I shared Jesus with, I taught the Bible to the children in, in the children's groups. Um, my own children, I, I tried my best to teach them to love you and to read the Bible and pray. This is the crown that I will glory in on that day. There was a preacher called Chrysostom who said to his congregation on this passage, there's nothing I love more than you, not even light itself. I would gladly have my eye put out 10,000 times if it were possible by this means to convert your souls. So much is your salvation dearer to me than light itself. That is spiritual friendship that loves, isn't it? that longs for the love and faith of those that it serves. It's not been entirely easy for Carol and myself and our family to leave our spiritual friends behind in London, in our last church. Um, But coming here, Carol and I can easily testify to the power of spiritual friendship in the love that we already feel for all of you here and that we actually sense back from you too our desire to walk with you in Jesus to help each other to follow him. That spiritual friendship that loves. Many of us here, I'm sure, can think of someone that's been that sort of spiritual friend to us and thank God for the encouragement that they've been to you. In a marriage, for instance, marriage is about lots of things, about shared you know, mutual benefits and shared interests, but it is where faith is shared in a marriage. At its heart, it's about spiritual friendship having a partner in life to read the Bible and pray with. And if you don't have someone in the church here or elsewhere who's a spiritual friend to you, be aware of the danger of of trying to be alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred under Hitler, wrote about this. He said, the person who cannot stand being in community should beware of being alone. You are called, he says, to life in Christ where you carry your cross, you pray, you die, and on the day of judgment you stand in the community of faith. Beware of being alone. 
So today, join a small group. Or find someone in the church, maybe in your group, that that you could meet up with one-to-one and just read a bit of the Bible and pray for each other. So that's the first thing. That's really the big one. Second one, second paragraph here. Spiritual friendship also acts. Really, because of the love, it acts. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. These companions had been separated from Thessalonica, and they're so desperate to find news of how the Christians are doing there that they divide their team, and Paul sends Timothy, risking a dangerous journey back to Thessalonica, because they know the danger for this young church, especially in this hostile environment there, in this opposition that their faith will be damaged and weakened, and that they, in the end, may stop following Jesus. Paul reminds them in verse 3 that he had predicted that they would face trials. He says, you know quite well that we are destined for them. When we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way. It's almost like a kind of prophetic thing here. We told you this would happen, and it's happened, hasn't it? And so he says, we sent Timothy, verse 2, firstly, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Spiritual friendship does something. It acts. They sent Timothy to help. And the word, it's like when a toddler's learning to walk and they're a bit kind of tottery. And as they're just about to fall, mum and dad will just reach in and grab them in time to strengthen you when you were wobbling. Encouraging is literally giving each other the courage to keep following Jesus, whether we feel strong or not. And they also sent Timothy to just to find the news. Verse 5, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out about your faith. Were you still going strong? Had you all gone back to paganism? Was there even a church in Thessalonica anymore? He's anxious to find out if the work they'd done, he says, had been in vain, had been for nothing because of the opposition. Spiritual friendship, you see, it acts, it does something. It doesn't just worry about the other person or the other church. It doesn't even just pray for them. It acts, it sends help. And of course, sending a letter, as Paul does here, is a useful spiritual thing to do sometimes, to send some words of encouragement, a card, perhaps to someone that's bereaved, or an email even. But spiritual friendship's deeper than that. It acts by going to the other person, going to that group of beleaguered believers and encouraging them. It values face-to-face. It's not hands or arm's length, is it? Spiritual friendship acts by encouraging one another, with the gospel that we first heard. Timothy goes back and reminds them of what they've heard to make sure they're still staying strong in Jesus. Paul does the same in this letter. And we grow as Christians, don't we? Not by learning new things, but by being encouraged by what we already have heard in more depth. So, again, it's a great question to ask someone, isn't it? Perhaps even over coffee after the service or if someone's struggling. How's your Christian life going at the moment? What are you reading in the Bible at the moment? What are you praying about? How can I pray for you? Spiritual friendship acts. It does something. Third paragraph, last one, again just briefly. Spiritual friendship brings joy. 
Timothy's just got back from his visit, and they meet up again, probably in Corinth, as we saw, and he's got doubly good news for his companions. Um, Again, if you look at verse 6, he has brought good news about your faith and love. It's really all one sentence. And that you always have pleasant memories of us. So their love for the Lord is still strong. That's really good news. But actually, their love for this little team is still strong. That's good news too. The friendship is strong. It's rather nice. The word that is used here, good news, it's literally the word evangelized. We think of sharing Jesus as evangelizing, the good news of Jesus, and that is the heart. But actually, the news that they still love them is also good news. He evangelized them with the news of their faith as well. And Paul and his companions are still having a hard time. You get the sense here they're still going through trials in Athens and then in Corinth. And the good news, says Paul, is almost like a resurrection for them. Verse 7 For now we really live since you're standing firm. We're struggling, we're in a pretty difficult situation here, trying to share the gospel still, but it's been like another resurrection to us to hear that you're still loving the Lord and you're still loving us. Great picture, isn't it? That spiritual friendship, the depth of it again. And the main concern Paul's got in writing all of this section, all these three headings, is, is to encourage his readers with the strength of spiritual friendship. That this friendship that loves, that acts, that brings joy, is a powerful thing when believers share it. To just tell them how much their faith really does mean to him, as a spiritual parent to them. How much joy it's bringing him. But he also writes with a, with a mood of gentle encouragement to do it more and more, to keep going. And we'll see this more in chapters 4 and 5. But that little phrase there, since you are standing firm, it implies not just gratitude, but actually a little spur to them to keep standing firm in the future. Again, that's a little reminder to us this morning. Just a little prod from Paul to say, you're standing firm, Holy Trinity. That is wonderful. And you've done that here for decades. Well, keep going. Keep standing firm. Someone once quipped that you should always go to your friend's funeral or they won't come to yours. Now, this, this kind of reciprocal friendship thing is behind the idea here in Thessalonians between the, the preaching team and the Thessalonians. But actually, it's not really the, the heart of the, the reciprocal relationship here. The spiritual friendship is really about the partnership that Paul has with God. That's where the, the blessing comes. Um, and you see that in verse 9. What matters to, to Paul and his colleagues is what God's given to them through their friendship, their horizontal friendship with the Thessalonians. He says, verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? You know, never mind what we get from our relationship with you, and that's wonderful, um, but what, what we really say is we owe God more than we could ever pay him for the joy that you've given us. We can't repay God for it. And, and I, I recall the joy of seeing someone years later who I'd I'd helped a little bit to to come to Christ whilst we were at college and hearing that she was not only um, married to a a lovely Christian guy and going on with the Lord 
but they were both actually serving in youth ministry together, sharing Jesus. And that is the joy, isn't it, of seeing that God's kept someone faithful to him, that they're still strong in the Lord. Spiritual friendship, though, although it's, it is about this joy and this gratitude of the encouragement that we get from each other, it's not complacent. Because the last little section there, verse 10, begins to hint that the work is not yet finished. Night and day, says Paul, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. See the sense there? Their faith is strong, but it's not complete. So we're going to see in chapters 4 and 5 how he he tries to help them to begin to complete their faith. Um, But the prayer in the last paragraph, verses 11, 12, and 13, is all about looking to the future when their faith is complete. Uh, Gordon MacDonald writes, there's a niceness to a friendship where I can be myself, but what I really need are relationships where I will be encouraged to be better than myself. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the kind of myself that is developing each day to be more like Christ. And that's what spiritual friendships do. They spur, they encourage, they challenge each other to become more like Christ each day into the future. So that's where verses 12 and 13 go as we finish. Um, In verses 12 and 13, we're looking to the future here. The goal here, I kind of wrote this down to try and get it really clear for us. The goal of spiritual friendship is that love overflows, love that overflows. In other words, it's to be blameless and holy when Jesus comes. That's what Paul is praying about here. He's praying that our love may grow and overflow, or put another way, that when Christ comes, we may be holy and blameless. That's the goal of spiritual friendship, to help each other to that point. But here's the good news. It's not something that relies upon how good we are at that, or how wise we are, or even how strong our faith is. Because what is this? Well, it's a prayer. It's a prayer. Why is it a prayer? Why do we pray on a Sunday together as we have done already? Because it doesn't rest on our strength, on our faith, but on God. So the ground and the guarantee of growth into godliness, that future goal, the ground of it, the guarantee of it, is not me, not my strength, my genius, my wisdom, my efforts. It's the love, we might say the grace and the power of God. That's why Paul prays these three things with which I close. May he, the Lord, clear the way for us to come to you. May God give us, in other words, friendships of proximity, face-to-face. May he make your love increase and overflow. And may he strengthen your hearts and my heart and make us holy and blameless. Let's pray that now, shall we? Just, if you keep the Bible open, just... Uh, ponder those words of verses 12 and 13, the end of our reading. And we'll pray them as a prayer for one another. So, Lord, as we thank you for the gift of spiritual friendship, of partnership in Jesus, 
the community of faith, that we're not alone. As we walk and follow Jesus together, may the Lord make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And may you strengthen our hearts that we may be blameless and holy in the presence of you, our God and Father, when the Lord Jesus, you come with all your holy ones. Amen.